Disney hates boys. Mr. Reagan. So there's a new trend in Hollywood, at least when it comes to sequels and reboots. It's called the bait and switch. The idea is that you make a film or show which features an existing character, a beloved character, a character with a big fan base, and you market this project as being about this existing character. But you don't actually make the project about this character. You actually make the project about a new character. But not just any character. This character has to be very specifically a woman, and if possible, a woman of color. Recently, they did this with Doctor Strange. They made a whole Doctor Strange movie about a Mexican-American girl with lesbian parents. That's not a joke. That is the real backstory of the character. Hawkeye did this, bring in Haley Steinfeld to take over the character. Halo, a show based around the popular video game franchise, just killed off the male lead and replaced him with a chick, naturally. Loki, a show about Loki, but also a girl version of Loki, who is better than Loki in every way imaginable, of course. Picard, a show that pretends to be about Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek The Next Generation, but is actually a show about a bunch of women. I won't let you sacrifice yourself. You won't let me? James Bond, the 007 designation, was recently transferred to a black woman, and then they literally killed off James Bond. The world's moved on, Commander Bond. Indiana Jones. It's been reported that they're killing off Indiana Jones in the next film and replacing him with a woman. And these are just a few examples. Of course, they already did this with Star Wars by replacing Luke Skywalker with Rey, but now they've done it again, this time in a new Star Wars show called Obi-Wan Kenobi. You see, Obi-Wan Kenobi is not about Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's about this chick, a character called Reva. Now, when I first heard about this show, I thought, well, maybe it might be okay. But I was mistaken. It is awful. And after watching it, I can tell you one thing about the people over at Disney and Lucasfilm who produced this garbage. They very clearly hate boys. I'll explain all of this in one moment. First, I have to sell you something. Over the years, you've probably tried different investments in stocks and mutual funds. You know they can be up and down all over the place. But with inflation running at 8.5%, its highest rate in 40 years, do you really need that kind of uncertainty? Being able to sleep at night knowing your investments aren't about to crash? Well, that is worth its weight in gold. And speaking of gold, if you've been jumping from one investment to the next, the gold IRA with Noble Gold is is perfect. With gold, you shield your gains from taxes. You keep the real value of your wealth. You own a global asset, something tangible, and you protect your wealth against economic crashes. What is not to like? And this month, for every cash deal above 20k, you'll get an incredible three-ounce silver American virtue coin completely free as a thank you. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold. Call 877-646-5347 right now to find out more or visit noblegoldinvestments.com. That's noblegoldinvestments.com. Now, you may be aware that Disney has become an evil, woke corporation in recent years. They've been injecting leftist propaganda into children's projects. This was famously admitted to in a recently leaked conference call. The showrunners were super welcoming, Meredith Roberts, and like the, the our leadership over there has been so welcoming to like my like not at all secret gay agenda. Kind of the only way to have these like canonical trans characters, canonical asexual characters, canonical bisexual characters is to give them stories where they can, like, be their whole selves. So they're trying to influence children with their gay agenda, feminist agenda, racist agenda against straight white men, and their Marxist ideas. And they reject 
their own earlier work as it contains traditional Christian European values, values that leftists hate. Disney's new radical left attempt to indoctrinate children has obviously caused a drop-off in their subscribers to the Disney Plus streaming service. Now, Disney owns Lucasfilm, the company in charge of Star Wars, and so Star Wars is now, as we know, terrible. But because of the success of Jon Favreau's Mandalorian series, there is now a war within Disney over the direction of Star Wars, a war between the influence of Kathleen Kennedy and Jon Favreau. Kathleen Kennedy is the president of Lucasfilm, and she's a woke, radical feminist. Jon Favreau is not woke, and he has created, in my opinion, the only good Star Wars project since Return of the Jedi. Since the success of Mandalorian, Favreau has been given a lot of power over at Disney to create more projects. Sadly, his second show, Boba Fett, was a total disaster. And one project that I was excited to hear about was this new Obi-Wan series, Obi-Wan Kenobi, classic Star Wars character. Now, I'm not a fan of the prequels. In fact, I rather detest them. However, Ewan McGregor is a good actor, and under Jon Favreau, this show could be awesome. And I didn't want any spoilers. I didn't want to hear anything about it. I wanted to go in knowing nothing. So I avoided the news. I avoided YouTube videos about this show. I went in clean. A few weeks ago, the first two episodes premiered, and I eagerly flipped it on. And within the first few seconds, I realized something was very wrong. The opening shot swings past a little black Jedi girl in her Jedi class learning to use the Force. Her teacher an Asian woman. Had this been any other franchise, I probably wouldn't have thought all that much about it. But that, as it's Star Wars, I know Kathleen Kennedy is obsessed with women and non-white people, and so this seemed very intentional. In Luke's prequels, it seemed that the Jedi children were primarily white boys. Not anymore. Kathleen Kennedy has always had this obsession with making the Force female or whatever, and even within the first few seconds, this show reeked of her feminist stench. The next scene shows these elite Imperial officers known as the Inquisitors hunting down Jedi. The Grand Inquisitor is this white guy, very white, because as we all know, all of the most evil people in the universe are white men. But the best Inquisitor, the toughest and the smartest and the most aggressive, is the chick that I showed you at the top of the show, Reva. And she's so aggressive that one of the other Inquisitors, this Asian dude, and also the Grand Inquisitor himself, they're both like, why are you so crazy? Calm down. <laughs> but she's clearly better at using the Force than the other two. She's smarter, she's more effective than either of them, and this is all illustrated in a sequence in which she tricks this Jedi that they're hunting into revealing himself by attacking an innocent civilian. This Jedi is compelled to stop her, after which he's revealed and they hunt him down and they kill him. Now it's very obvious right from the get-go that this chick is supposed to be the main character of this show. She's the character we are supposed to pay attention to. And it seemed to me that as she's black, it's very likely that she was cast because of diversity and to promote the message that, you know, black women are amazing. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, if that's true, if that's why they cast her, and that's the message they're trying to send out to the audience, then this evil woman has got to be a redemption character. That is, she's got to, at some point in the series, turn good. Either that, or it's got to be revealed that she's actually always been good all along, and that she's just pretending to be bad or something like that. And it was at this point that I paused the show and I looked up on my phone who actually produced the project. And it is not, to my shock and horror, John Favreau. This, sadly, is a Kathleen Kennedy production. I felt sick. Okay, so before the show really even started, I already knew that it was woke garbage. But I thought, let's carry on, let's 
see just how woke, just how garbage this show is going to be. And boy, oh boy, not only was this show woke and absolute garbage, it was worse than I could have ever imagined. Because they did four things here that really betrayed the fans. First, as I mentioned before, this show is a bait and switch. It's not even about Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's a bait and switch. They're pretending it's about Obi-Wan. It's called Obi-Wan, but it's really about this Reva chick. Secondly, the whole project is saturated with woke propaganda, and I'll go into some of this later, but basically, when you try to force-feed fans' leftist political messages, it literally ruins whatever entertainment the fans might have gotten out of the project. Thirdly, the production value is terrible. Now listen to this. Each episode of this show had a budget of between 20 and 25 million dollars. That's per episode. I mean, this thing's got to look amazing, right? It does not. The best example that I can give you to illustrate just how unbelievably bad the production value is, is this laser cannon. So this is a large piece of military equipment. It takes several stormtroopers to move it around. Now it floats in the air, so obviously it should move very smoothly over any surface, right? But even so, I mean, it's got to weigh several tons. Now, of course, this is a spatial effect. It's going to be made out of something like styrofoam. But it has to look real. It has to look substantial. It has to look like it weighs a ton and then uh, yet floats smoothly over the ground. But watch this. <laughs> this thing is like wobbling all over the place. It looks like it's made out of cardboard and bubble gum. It looks like a cosplay prop. It literally looks like a prop that a fan would make. And in fact, I would say that if you watch, there's a show from one of the Mythbusters guys where he makes props and stuff. I think he could make a prop about a thousand times better than this. And he is not getting paid thousands of dollars to do that. $25 million an episode for a wobbly cannon. <laughs> but that's not, I mean, look, that's not the only bad thing. I mean, just everything in the show is terrible. There's a scene where uh, Reva does like parkour over some buildings, but obviously the actor is not trained in parkour, so they've got her rigged up to wires. Just, I mean, it looks like she's on wires. It doesn't look convincing at all. These are just a couple examples, but the whole show is like this. And the fourth thing, the fourth problem that I have, the fourth betrayal of fans, I would say, is that the story is terrible. The basic story is that Princess Leia, as a little child, is kidnapped. And so Obi-Wan has to go rescue her and bring her back to safety. Meanwhile, Darth Vader is hunting down Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he wants to kill him. Okay, well, that seems fine, except this show is basically a complete ripoff of The Mandalorian. Mandalorian was a huge hit. In my opinion, Mandalorian is the first good Star Wars project since The Return of the Jedi. And the concept of that show was genius. This big, tough Mandalorian reluctantly protects the vulnerable baby Yoda. This is a film trope that's been around for a very long time. The most famous iteration may be the Luke Besson film The Professional, in which a hitman has to take care of a little girl played by Natalie Portman. More recently, this was done in the last Wolverine film, Logan. And even way back in like 1937, there was this film with uh, Freddie Bartholomew and Spencer Tracy. It was called Captain's Courageous. This is a very, very popular film. It was an adaptation of Kipling's novel from 1897, Captain's Courageous. But you know what? Probably since humans have been telling stories, since like the dawn of time, this adoptive father and son dynamic or a father-daughter dynamic has been told, right? So this is what I think happened. I think Kathleen Kennedy wanted a hit. She, she knows she's hated by fans and Jon Favreau is loved because of The Mandalorian. And so she's been desperate to produce something as successful as The Mandalorian. And so when somebody proposed doing an Obi-Wan Kenobi show, she must have just been like, fantastic, it's a sure hit. And then when somebody said, hey, you know what? Mandalorian 
is a grown man taking care of Baby Yoda. And, and people really love that. There's Baby Yoda's stuffed animals all over the place. People got pictures of them on their computer and stuff. This is a phenomenon. Why don't we copy that show, but instead of a Mandalorian and a Baby Yoda, we'll do it better. We'll do the same thing, but with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Baby Princess Leia. <laughs> well, Kathleen Kennedy must have peed herself with excitement. This was a surefire hit. There is no way that she could mess that up. But, oh, there was a way, and she found it. And that way, well... It's the same way she messed up the sequels and every other project that she has helmed so far. She injected her woke political messages. She just had to make the show about an amazing black woman. She couldn't have left that out. She she couldn't have just made it about Obi-Wan. I mean, how could she? He's a white man. White men are awful. We can't just tell a great story about him. We've got to find a way to make the whole thing about women and black people. In fact, Kathleen Kennedy is so committed to injecting black characters into these projects that she doesn't even care if they're completely wrong for the part. And you probably think that I'm talking about Reva, and I am, of course, but I want to illustrate this problem with another character, this guy. This guy is called Roken, and he's supposed to be some kind of important member of this rebel group called The Path. And uh, for this part, they cast O'Shea Jackson Jr. That's right, Ice Cube's son. Now, this guy doesn't talk like a typical Star Wars character. No, no, this guy talks, as you might expect, like Ice Cube. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the Inquisitors found her anyway, so I know exactly what the Empire can do. I mean, that kind of attitude, that kind of cultural language, that kind of accent, it doesn't fit into the Star Wars universe. It's off-putting. It's awful. It ruins the project. Now, Disney likes to pretend that whenever fans criticize a black character or a female character, that it's because, you know, we're all racist and sexist or whatever. But no, no, that is not why we're complaining. We're complaining because you prioritized pushing a political message over writing good stories or casting appropriate actors. Everybody loves Lando Calrissian, and he speaks in a way that's appropriate for Star Wars. Hello, what have we here? Welcome, I'm Lando Calrissian. I'm the administrator of this facility. Now, I didn't think that it was a good idea to cast Samuel L. Jackson as a Jedi back in the 90s because he very famously speaks like Samuel L. Jackson. But at least he tried to speak with a neutral accent to sound somewhat appropriate for the project. It's like they have no idea how ridiculous it is. And this is the basic problem that people have with Reva, except in her case, it's not that she th- seems like she's culturally inappropriate, but rather she's not actually intimidating. They've written a character who's supposed to be this super powerful force-wielding villain who's hell-bent on hunting Jedi. You know, she's a bit of a maniac and we're all supposed to think that she's super scary, but she's not. She's constantly shouting at everybody, but she sounds like this. Fire! Light him up! Where is he? Don't admit you're a spy. Enough! There's just nothing scary about this. You know what? Actually, this reminds me of another project... A long, from a long time ago at Disney, they did a kind of Star Wars knockoff. Why don't we play a clip from that? Listen, the command considers us a bunch of losers, but we're going to do it right this time because we're the best. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was like a Star Wars-inspired ride at Disney called Captain EO, I think it was, uh, with Michael Jackson. And Michael Jackson sounded about as tough as as Reva does in this new series. So so I guess that's just the voice that Star Wars likes to inject in its Star Wars-like materials. I don't know. Anyway, the point is there is nothing scary about this woman, about this character, about this actor. 
Now, in the original Star Wars trilogy, Darth Vader was played by a guy named David Prowse. And this guy had a very intimidating frame. He was tall and he moved in an intimidating way. But his voice was not particularly scary. The original onset recordings can be found on YouTube and you can hear for yourself that this was a real problem. Where is the data you intercepted? What have you done with those information tapes? We intercepted no information. Where are those tapes? Only the commander knows that. This ship carries the crest of Alderaan. Was there any of the royal family on board? Who were you carrying? His voice just sounded weak. So when it came time to record the lines cleanly in the recording studio, they didn't bring in David Prowse. They brought in a young actor by the name of James Earl Jones. And this voice has become one of the most iconic voices in all of cinema. When I was a young boy, I genuinely thought that Darth Vader was the scariest villain of all time. And much of it was due to that voice. You have failed me for the last time. But apparently Kathleen Kennedy never heard that story because when she went to cast Scary Villain, she cast this. Where is he? As soon as this character was on screen and I looked up and found out that this was a Kathleen Kennedy production, I knew this was a bait and switch. I knew that this was not going to be about Obi-Wan Kenobi, but rather it was going to be about this new character, Reva. And she was going to be a redemption character and turn good or turn out to have always been good and that they were going to try to make her into this great new heroic character. And then after this Obi-Wan series was over... My prediction was that they were going to try to give her her own show. That was what instantly came to my mind. And guess what? In episode five, what happens? Well, it turns out Reva's a good guy. <laughs> Reva doesn't actually hate the Jedi. She hates Vader. She's been pretending to be evil in order to trick Darth Vader into trusting her so that she can eventually kill him. <laughs> wow, what an awesome chick. We've seen her cut an innocent woman's hand off, threaten to murder people, and hunt down and execute a Jedi, though I'm not sure that that was her doing personally, but clearly it's something that she would be fine doing. And, oh, and she also kidnapped Princess Leia and almost tortured her to death. You did this to yourself! But we're all supposed to just think that, you know, she's the bestest ever because secretly she was doing all of this to kill Darth Vader in the end. The ends justify the means. Great message, Disney. Not really surprising, though, because this is the Democrat philosophy, after all. So, of course, the fans hate Reva because she's absolutely awful. Naturally, whoever runs the Star Wars Twitter account has suggested that if you don't like this actress, you must be racist. <laughs> No, no, no. No one could possibly just think that this is a bad character or that this actress was miscast. No, 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 no. If you don't like her, well, you're just a bigot. There is no other possible explanation. And the story that they wrote for this series really does not help endear anyone to this character or to this version of the Star Wars universe in any way because the story is awful. Here's the basic story. Reva is hunting Obi-Wan. So she kidnaps baby Leia, not knowing that this is Darth Vader's daughter, but she kidnaps baby Leia because she thinks that Obi-Wan will go and try to rescue her, in which case she can capture him and take him to Darth Vader, winning his trust and getting herself a promotion to Grand Inquisitor. Obi-Wan does rescue the baby Leia, and there are several skirmishes and escapes and stuff like that, tons of feminist and woke propaganda. And then it's revealed that actually Reva is kind of a good guy, and the reason that she's trying to capture Obi-Wan and win over Darth Vader's trust is because she actually just wants to get close enough to kill him because when she was a little kid, she was one of the Jedi younglings that Darth Vader slew. But somehow she survived because she's 
really tenacious or something. So Obi-Wan figures this out, and instead of facing Vader himself, he runs away, and he gives Reva her chance to betray Darth Vader. This doesn't actually work, and Vader easily defeats this chick, which I'm actually surprised by, because, you know, I'm surprised that they didn't hint that somehow this chick was a better fighter than Darth Vader, like what they did with Rey in the sequels. But there is this old trick that Hollywood writers use to endear viewers to a particular character. If you get them beat up, then people will tend to sympathize with them. But the problem with this is that we've already established that this woman is an evil psycho. So... I don't think that revealing that actually she intends to betray Vader and she's been this kind of good guy the whole time, that was never going to work. And it's crazy to me that they spent so much money on this project, but they couldn't even get certain elements of the script to work right. The incompetence is strong with this one. So this chick is left for dead, but somehow she doesn't die because no matter how many times Vader runs her through with a lightsaber, this chick just cannot die. So realizing that she can't defeat Vader, she instead figures out that there's this little boy. Okay, this is this is pretty funny, actually. I'm, I'm going to go off script here for a second. She's dying, right? She's on the ground dying. And uh, somebody has dropped a communicator at s- somewhere in this general vicinity. And she's dying, she's dying, she's dying. And then she like looks over and she sees this like communicator that somebody drops. And so she crawls over to the communicator and she hits the button and it, and it pops up this message. And the message just happens to be this really important message that is key to the plot, you know. <laughs> it's like, I mean, can you imagine a movie in which somebody gets shot a bunch of times, like in our world, like gets shot a bunch of times and they're like lying, they're bleeding to death. And they don't go try to, like, fix themselves up. What happens is they see that somebody left their cell phone. And they're like, oh, let me go check that person's messages. And, and they're like, oh, this one message is really, like, key to the plot. Oh, thank, I'm glad I grabbed this before trying to, like, stop myself from dying. It's just the dumbest. I mean, this script is so unbelievably bad. But anyway, so by some miracle, she sees this communicator, checks it, sees... Okay, so this is what the communicator says. She figures out that there's a little boy that Obi-Wan is protecting on the planet of Tatooine. This, of course, is Luke Skywalker. So in the very last episode of the series, completely inexplicably, she decides she's going to go to Tatooine to find this little boy. Now, it was revealed that this chick really just wants to kill Darth Vader. That's her only motivation throughout the show. So why would she then want to go to Tatooine? I didn't really understand it. I thought, well, maybe she figured out that Vader would eventually, you know, figure out that this kid was on Tatooine and being protected. And so she'd get another shot at killing Vader if he then went to Tatooine to get this kid or whatever. But no, in the final episode, she gets to Tatooine and then she tries to kill Luke herself. (laughs) But why? You've just... You've just revealed that she's actually not bad. She's a, she's a kind of good character who just is out to kill Vader. That's her whole motivation. That's her whole intention. That's all that she wants to do with her life. She's this obsessed, myopic person. And now she's, like, evil again? I mean, what is the reasoning here? She doesn't know that this is Vader's kid. It's not like she's like, oh, I couldn't kill Vader, but I'll kill his kid, and that'll piss him off. Like, she doesn't, she doesn't know that. That wasn't part of the communication. So if that's what they were thinking... One, I don't even think that's a particularly good way to, like, get revenge on Vader, first of all. And secondly, she doesn't actually know that. That was not established. She doesn't know why this kid's being protected. She just hears something about a boy that's being protected on Tatooine, and that's it. So, obviously, she needs to kill this kid for reasons, because the plot, they want her to do it for the plot or something. I don't know. I honestly don't know what they were thinking. I mean, these people got paid so much money for this, and it's so bad. Like, Hollywood people, if you're watching this... If you're listening to me, hire me to fix your scripts because they're terrible. 
I will fix your scripts. I will make them good. <laughs> Meanwhile, Obi-Wan finally finds his testicles and he goes to fight Darth Vader on a rock planet that's obviously a movie set. But it's this is such a cheap movie set that it looks like it was built for the 1960s Star Trek TV show. But anyway, they have their epic battle, which, you know, had a few redeeming moments. And, um, you know, the idea of such a battle I do like, but it was not great. If these people are going to film an epic Obi-Wan Darth Vader lightsaber battle, bring in the best choreographer, bring in the best cinematographer, the best writer, the best set designer, the best effects guy, bring in the best everything. But they clearly did not do this. Everything looked cheap and theatrical, and honestly, it looked like something out of Obi-Wan the Broadway musical. But eventually, Obi-Wan defeats Vader, and he leaves him for dead. He doesn't actually, like, make sure he's dead. He doesn't actually kill him, which, of course, we know Darth Vader lives. And so he kind of just walks away. And again, it makes sense because obviously neither of them can die because there's other Star Wars movies coming. But you know what? At least they could have written something more intelligent than just Obi-Wan walking away while Vader is injured and just being like, I win this round, get better, and maybe next time you can succeed in killing me. <laughs> like, I mean, at this point, doesn't he realize that Darth Vader is pure evil? I mean, he's probably killed a lot of people by now. Wouldn't he think, you know, maybe I should just like, do away with this guy, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe because of his history with him. I'm not going to pick at that point so much, but... Meanwhile, this chick, Reva, has gone to Tatooine and has an oddly difficult time getting past Owen and his wife, uh, Uncle Owen, uh, Luke Skywalker's uncle. But eventually, she finds Luke, she chases him out into the desert, and she pushes him down the side of a hill, knocking him out. And then, she can't do it. She can't kill the little boy, because she remembers that when she was a little girl, and Vader cut her down, and she's like... You know, I don't want to be like Darth Vader. And she has a second redemption moment. But you know what? You know what? Here's, here's, a, here's a good reason not to kill Luke. Because there was no reason to kill him in the first place. This script makes no sense. <laughs> Sorry, I get mad about this sort of thing. Anyway, so she brings Luke back to his aunt and uncle. And by now, Obi-Wan has gotten there. And she's like, I'm not really a bad person, am I? And Obi-Wan's like, no. I mean, you came back to murder a little boy for no good reason. But you decided not to at the last moment. And so it's all good. <laughs> she may have decided not to kill Luke, but she's still committed some atrocious crimes. She hunted down a Jedi and either killed him or facilitated his murder. She cut off a random woman's hand. She kidnapped a small child. And she tried to torture this child. And also, think of the gazillion evil things that she did before that. I mean, these are all things that in real life you would go to prison for. But in Kathleen Kennedy's version of Star Wars, it's all fine, just so long as one time you stopped yourself from murdering a little boy. If you do that, well, all's forgiven. You're one of the good guys now. <laughs> now, as I said before, as soon as I saw the first episode, it was obvious to me that this show was a bait and switch. And, you know, I've watched a bunch of other reviews about this show, and just about everybody else saw this as well. And after the fans reacted with such disdain for this awful character, I actually find it unlikely that Lucasfilm will actually create the Reva series. But I don't think this was just going to be a Reva series. I think they were setting up a lot of characters in this project. I think it was also going to be an Ice Cube Jr. series. People follow you. Don't stop. Just get started. And so this is what I think this whole show was setting up. Black Star Wars. That's it. We've got a black female lead. We've got a black guy in a leadership role here. I can only assume that there would be more black characters cast as well. This show, I think, was setting the foundation for black Star Wars. Now, maybe 
they should do some kind of black science fiction show or movie. Maybe that would be great. Maybe that would be successful. Certainly, it could be if it were written really, really well. But why does it have to be Star Wars? Okay, listen, Disney, if you're watching, this is from the fans. Stop trying to change Star Wars. The Force is not female. The Force is not black. The Force is a fantasy sci-fi representation of the good and evil that we experience here on Earth. Originally, the Force was a fictional representation of traditional European Christianity. The phrase, may the Force be with you, is an obviously fictionalized version of the Christian phrase, may the Lord be with you. George Lucas was not trying to hide the Christian origins of the Force. Maybe read up a little bit on Christian theology and traditional ethics, and then maybe put some of that back into the stories, and then maybe they'll be good again. But until you're willing to do that, just stop making Star Wars. But you know what? This character, Reva, is not even my biggest problem with this show. My biggest problem is baby Leia. Look, if somebody is offering us help, I think we should take it. Now, come on. Imagine Star Wars is a delicious bowl of soup. The waiter serves the soup. It looks beautiful. It smells delicious. But then you notice something a bit disgusting. A fly has landed in the soup. That fly is the character of Reva. Maybe it's a bit disgusting. Maybe it ruined the soup for you. But you could probably just pick it out and forget that it was ever in there. Not a huge deal. But then imagine a bratty little kid runs over and just knocks the soup off your table, onto your lap, ruining all of your clothes, the soup pooling up beneath you on your seat and making it look like you both peed and shat yourself at the same time. That little kid is Baby Leia. Baby Leia is the most annoying character in the history of fiction. Leia is introduced as this stubborn, headstrong kid who basically does whatever she wants without any real discipline from her adopted parents. They just spoil her and let her do whatever. She is the quintessential product of bad parenting. And yet she's portrayed in this project as some kind of wunderkind. She is this child prodigy that's good at literally everything. This is actually contrasted by Luke, who, although he's only in the show a few times in the series, each and every time they show him, he's just an ordinary boy. If anything, he seems a little slow. <laughs> he's an average, kind of dumb kid. Honestly, I think if Kathleen Kennedy could do it, I think that she would actually remake the original trilogy, but have Leia be the young Jedi protagonist and have Luke be the princess who gets rescued. Because that's the way Leia's written in this show. She, she is the most amazing child in the universe. Grown men are chasing her, right? Naturally, baby Leia is faster and more cunning. Baby Leia has a disagreement with her older male cousin, and naturally, baby Leia is an expert clinical psychologist who can break down her cousin's psychiatric state and humiliate him in front of the other kids. Your father. You want him to like you so you repeat what he says, even though you don't really know what it means. You think being like him will make people frightened of you, but really, you're the one who's scared. Can't get your blast doors open? Send in baby Leia. She's a trained electrical engineer, after all. You got a Force user who can read anyone's mind? Well, not baby Leia. Baby Leia is way too strong with the Force to give in to that kind of manipulation. <sighs> Strong. Even at age 10. <laughs> if anything scary or dangerous is going down, it's baby Leia who has the coolest head. She gives the wisest advice. You think the less you say, the less you give away. But really, it's the opposite. 
How old are you? What's worse is that I believe that the baby Leia character is the way that she is, at least in part, because they're using her character to push critical theory. I think this is why they wrote Baby Leia as hyper-masculine. I think Kathleen Kennedy has got it into her head that girls have to be like boys. Even a Quillian Ranger, probably scouting for Mersan pirates. And this is a pattern with Kathleen Kennedy. During her reign at Lucasfilm, she has emasculated and killed off every important straight white male character. And she's replaced all of them with strong female characters. <laughs> He's on his way. Kathleen Kennedy and the other radical feminists over at Disney and Lucasfilm have clearly decided that the time for boys and men to be heroes is over. And it's now time for women to have their day. And as I said, I, I think that this is a result of critical theory. I've talked about critical theory a lot on this channel, but basically it's this absurd idea that white men for thousands of years have conditioned women to believe that they're gentle nurturers and conditioned men to believe that they're tough hunters. And they've conditioned society to believe these things in order to control women. And these critical theory lunatics also believe that Every other social dynamic has been nefariously constructed for the same purpose, control. Straight white men, they claim, are evil manipulators, and it's important that everybody reject any traditional ideas about gender or race or sexuality because all these ideas were invented to control you, for straight white men to dominate. And so in this way, critical theory justifies hating straight white men. They have developed a system to justify bigotry. And it's sad because before all this nonsense infected Hollywood, films were pretty awesome. In the 1980s, a lot of the stuff that I watched was made very specifically for little boys. And look, being a boy was awesome. I loved my childhood. Were my parents super cheap and never bought me any trendy new clothes or toys? Maybe. Did my homemade lunch often contain a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in which the jelly had inevitably soaked through the piece of Fran's white bread, creating a disgusting, soggy mess? <laughs> Okay, yes. Was I sometimes afraid to go to school because a gang of Cobra Kai-style bullies were waiting there for their chance to beat me up? Absolutely. And yet, I loved being a kid. I loved being a boy. I grew up in Oregon, basically in the forest. Now, if you've ever seen the movie The Goonies, it's a pretty good illustration of at least part of my childhood. Kids on bikes, riding through the woods, looking for hidden treasure. Being a boy was great. We had Saturday morning cartoons. We read fun books. We climbed trees. We played basketball and baseball and tennis and soccer. We played Nintendo. We went exploring. We started fires and we shot BB guns. I was into drawing. I was into writing stories. And you know what? I made bows and arrows with my pocket knife. I was pretty good at school. I took swim lessons. We went to the beach on the weekends. And we had movies like Star Wars, a movie that was custom made for little boys. In fact, many movies in the 1980s seemed to be designed specifically for little boys. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, Superman, The Goonies, E.T., Ghostbusters, Rocky, Karate Kid, Beverly Hills Cop, Willow, Teen Wolf, Flight of the Navigator, The Last Starfighter, The Never-Ending Story, etc., etc., etc. Even movies we weren't supposed to watch, we loved. Alien, Predator, Die Hard, Rambo. So many 80s movies that are today considered classics 
were projects that were made for little boys. Now, I don't know if in the 1980s producers just realized that, you know what, little boys really like movies or why they did this. I don't know. But the quality of these projects is impressive. I consider the films of the 1980s to be some of the best in history. And it makes sense that these critical theorists that want society to dismiss cultural ideas around gender and race and sexuality would want to take these popular projects and revise them in order to elevate women and black people and homosexuality and transgenderism and whatever else it is that they want to promote. But there are two problems with this approach. One, it doesn't work. And two, you end up ruining the original project that you're trying to use in order to spread your propaganda. A better option is to create new projects. Create original heroes and original villains to tell your stories. I mean, there's also a problem with this too. I mean, it's a better solution, but it's not a great solution because critical theory, I mean, it's just not compelling. Straight white guys are evil and everybody else is awesome. I mean, it's just not a compelling message. Okay, it is to some people, but such a hateful message does not make good art. One, it's extremely negative, and two, it's not true. It doesn't match people's actual life experience. You're trying to get everybody to accept something that they just don't believe and they don't see any evidence of. Kathleen Kennedy has a disturbingly bigoted worldview, and that, I think, has driven her to hire a woman of color, Deborah Chow, to direct this new Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And this show is terrible. And a lot of that is very clearly due to poor direction. She did get a white man to write Obi-Wan Kenobi, but did he really write it? I think it's more likely that Kathleen Kennedy dictated the script to him, or maybe he did write something, but then Kennedy came in and she and the director, Deborah Chow, modified the script to meet their woke specifications. Either way, the script is awful. They really should have found somebody good to write the script and not modified it with all this woke crap. And that person would very likely have been a white man. Because the brutal reality, the truth, is that the best storytellers are white men. And yes, I know a lot of people will say I'm a horrible bigot for saying this, but it's just true. Look at the history of great literature. There's a handful of women and nobody that isn't white as far as I'm aware. I mean, Squid Game was pretty great. That guy's Korean. But Otherwise, I think that all the best writers in history are white men. Actually, Kurosawa. Kurosawa is a massive exception. He's kind of a genius. Anyway, the point is that it's very possible that white men are just the best writers out of everybody in the human race, the best storytellers, the best filmmakers. I mean, maybe it's cultural, maybe it's genetic, I don't know. But it seems as though that is true. And maybe, for some reason, straight white men tend to make the most compelling characters as well. Again, I'm not sure why, but the vast majority of the most compelling characters in the history of film, in the history of literature, they have all been straight white men. But... Kathleen Kennedy apparently hates boys. And so she just kills every straight white male off who's in front of the camera. But then also she seems to either want to cut them out of the development process completely or use them as a proxy to write her own ideas. So for Kathleen Kennedy and these other woke filmmakers in Hollywood to reject straight white men just because they're straight white men. Well, these people are never going to end up with the best projects. Whether they're trying to mold existing franchises into new woke feminist versions or create new woke stories entirely, if they're going to cut straight white men out of the process, they're probably going to end up with crap projects. And I'll go even further. I believe that the best writers aren't just straight white men. They're conservative straight white men. So I think if Hollywood wants to make money, they're going to occasionally have to let straight white men write stories about straight white men. Hatred never builds anything good. 
It just tears good things down. Well, that's it for me. And remember, it's not that our liberal Hollywood friends are ignorant. It's just that they hate straight white men. Good night. It seemed to me that we'd begun reversing the order of things. That through more and more rules and regulations and confiscatory taxes, the government was taking more of our money, more of our options, and more of our freedom. There's a clear cause and effect here that is as neat and predictable as a law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts.